You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. It's Father's Day. Um, But I do want you to know, ladies, that this message benefits everybody in the room. So this benefits everyone in the room. It benefits, it'll benefit the men, but it'll also benefit you um, and your your kiddos, because it's easy to look around and to see the devastation that fatherlessness causes. Um, Paul was mentioning it a little bit when he was uh, leading into worship, but uh, you can see throughout history, you can see in our nation, the devastation of fatherlessness. Um, But it's also easy to see in families, in homes, in churches, in nations, uh, when men step into their position as fathers, like God has called them to be, you you see society flourish around them. You see everything begin working as it was meant to work. Some statistics for you. There's about 75 million kids under the age of 18 right now uh, in our nation, and a little over a third of them will go to sleep tonight with no father figure in the home. 90% of all boys raised in church will leave the church by the time they turn 20. 90%. 93% of all people currently incarcerated grew up with no father figure in their life. You see, and I mean, and you can just do a quick Google search on this. You don't have to find like a Christian study. This is, these are worldly studies um, that just show the devastation of not having a father around. But you look at um, obesity, behavioral problems, anxiety, depression, violence, drug and alcohol abuse, poverty, behavioral problems, out of wedlock, teen pregnancy, um, all of these things are higher when there's no father present. All of these things, they skyrocket when there's no father present. This one was wild to me. Infant death within the first 28 days of life is four times higher for babies when, when the father is absent. Pregnant women lose their babies 48% of the time when there's no father present. And compared to 22% of the time, if there is a father present, which is wild. I firmly believe that you could fix every problem in our nation and world within a generation if you put a godly father in every home. Every problem comes back to the family. That's why the enemy has worked so hard to destroy it. That's why the enemy has so attacked masculinity, even in the church, to where me talking about masculinity and manhood and fatherhood this morning is deemed as sexist. Even by Christian people. It's wild. The enemy is an idiot, but he's not an idiot. Like, the devil's dumb, but he's not dumb. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's attacking the family, starting with manhood starting with who God has called fathers to be. 93% of the time when a father in a home gets saved, the rest of the family follows. 93% of the time when a father follows Jesus, the rest of the family follows. Compare that to 17% of the time if mom gets saved, then the rest of the family follows. And this, this is just, these are facts, these are statistics, you can't really argue with them, but you see in scripture that God has designed life to work a certain way 
and he's designed men to step into a spiritual headship of, of their home, of their home. And I'm not anti-woman and we're not anti-preachers here. If you think we're anti-women preachers here, you're in the wrong church because a woman started this church <laughs> and she was the pastor for a long time. We're doing panel Sunday next Sunday. We're gonna have two ladies up here with us. So we're not, anti, uh, we're not anti-ladies leading. We're not anti-ladies preaching and teaching the word and sharing the gospel. Um, but, but when it comes to the way that God runs his spiritual economy is there's a certain role that men are supposed to play in leading their home. And you see that even played out in the world that when a dad is present, the family flourishes. And not even a great dad, just a dad there. Not even the actual dad, even you, you put a stepdad in those situations and the numbers, the numbers go way back up and t- towards a positive direction. <clears throat> I mean, just, just read Ephesians chapter five, like just one chapter in the New Testament and you'll see that God has a role for every man to play. Now, I wanna preface this, moms. God has a heart for single moms. He has a heart for widows. He has a heart for wives whose husbands refuse to lead. I'm a product of a single mother home. There's hope. Moms, here's the encouragement I wanna give to you that that my mom did, is that my mom always positioned me around men who loved Jesus. When my dad refused to love Jesus, when he refused to be around, my mom always got me in places around men who love Jesus. And I texted, a handful of men today that helped shape me into the man that I am. So moms, it's a good thing that we celebrate that. Fathers, when I say fathers, listen, I'm talking to every man in the room. This is for every man in the room. This is not just for the ones with kids in the home. Men, we are called by God to be fathers until the day that we die. There are so many children without dads in the home that just because you've raised yours doesn't mean that you get to kick back and relax until you die. There is a war for the hearts of the next generation and this is a call to arms for every man in the room. We've got to fight for our purity men. We've got to fight for our marriages. We've got to fight for our children, for our grandchildren and for the generation long after we're gone. Listen, I know that you think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I know that you've thought that for the last 40 years, but what if he doesn't? You cannot read the Bible and not see God's heart for the next generation. One of the saddest verses in scripture is where King Hezekiah gets 15 years added into his life and he starts living like a fool. And so the prophet comes and says, this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen. And he says, when is that gonna happen? It's gonna happen to your sons. And he says, thank God I don't have to live through it. How awful is that? What a terrible mindset to have. Well, this nation's going to hell in a headbasket. Thank God I'll be out of here in 15 years. That's a terrible mindset to have, men. We are called to raise up the next generation. Listen, Jesus has been coming quickly for 2,000 years. And if a day is like 1,000 years, we're on day two, buddy. So maybe he does come back tomorrow or in the next 40 days or 40 years or stretch your mind a little bit, 1,000 years. What are you doing, men, to raise up the next generation? Because you are called to be a, to be a present godly father. 
You can be present but absent in mind. And I want to look at a scripture today. Turn to Malachi chapter 4. Men, we are not in this fight alone. Malachi chapter 4, it's the last page of the Old Testament. So just find Matthew and turn back one page. Malachi chapter 4. We're not in this fight alone, men. We have a special anointing, a special power, a special mantle that the Holy Spirit gifts us to walk in. And we find it here in Malachi chapter four, starting in verse four, says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Man, do you see our nation right now going through lots and lots and lots of turmoil. Why? Because the hearts of the fathers are not turned towards their children. Millennials and Gen Z are known as the fatherless generations. Right now in our country, in its whole history, we, we have the most absent fathers in history. And now with Gen Z, it's a struggle to even know what gender we are. And that is not on them. And that is not on the culture. That is on dads who ran away like cowards. Malachi chapter four, the spirit of Elijah. These are the last words of the Old Testament. The last prophet to speak and then God goes silent for 400 years. And what's the last thing that he has to say? Family is the answer. The last thing that God has to say is that family is the answer. God's ultimate plan for mankind was to send a man with the spiritual mantle of Elijah that would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And I know it says, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, but, but fathers, let me tell you, the responsibility falls on you. The hearts of the children turning to the fathers are a consequence of the fathers first turning their hearts to their kids. And not just your kids by blood, but the kids in general in the nation. We know this man to be John the Baptist in all four gospels that talks about John the Baptist came with the mantle of Elijah. Luke 1 the angel told Zechariah, your son is gonna come preaching with the power and the spirit of Elijah upon him and he's gonna turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And, but I look at this, when I read this, I'm like, why Elijah? Because you read the story of Elijah and it never talks about him being married. It never ever talks about him having kids. Uh, Isaiah, Makes sense to me because Isaiah said, here's my prophetess wife, here's my prophetic children. They were just all prophets in his family, I guess, but he actually talks about his wife and he talks about his kiddos. But Elijah, no, no wife, no kids, it never says anything. Why Elijah? Why is Elijah the one that has this, this, this spirit of, prof, this spirit of a, a, a fatherhood on him? Turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. It's before second Kings. First Kings chapter 16. We're gonna look in verse 29. Why Elijah? That's what we're answering right here as we read the scripture. Why Elijah? Verse 29, first Kings 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. If you back up a few verses, 
where it talks about Omri, it said Omri did more evil in the, eye, in the eyes of the Lord than any kings before him. So the apple didn't fall far from the tree here. He not only considered trivial to commit sin, to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of, uh, of Nebat, he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, king of the Sidians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So not only did he consider sin commonplace is what that means. Not a big deal, basically. Sin's not a big deal. That was what Ahab, not a big deal. And then he finds Jezebel attractive. He marries Jezebel. Jezebel is the nastiest woman in the Bible. She's bad, like real, like bad news. Jezebel's so nasty, she's still around in Revelation. Actually, Jesus condemns a church in Revelation for even tolerating the spirit of Jezebel. Not committing acts with Jezebel, but just tolerating the spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to remove the lampstand from you. It's wild. She's bad. Bad news. He set up an altar for, uh, verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel before him. Verse 34. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, I think is how you say that. And he set up its gates at the cost of his second youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. When Joshua destroyed Jericho, he put a curse on the city, because that's a bad, real bad city. But he put a curse on it and says if anybody's going to rebuild it, it's going to cost him the, the life of his firstborn son when he lays the foundation and the life of his secondborn son when he raises the gates. Joshua put that curse. Hael would have known that curse. Everybody in Israel would have known that, especially if you're going to go rebuild this. and be like, hey, bro, wait a second. Don't do that because this is what's going to happen. Forget that. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to rebuild this ancient city. He begins to rebuild Jericho. And when he lays the foundation, it kills his firstborn son. What kind of man sees that happen and then goes, you know what, I'm going to finish. And then it cost him the life of his secondborn son. This is the climate and the culture that Elijah is being sent into. Because the first verse we get about Elijah is chapter 17, verse 1, right after that. Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, there's the first verse we get from him. This is the culture that Elijah has been sent into. So why Elijah? He's been sent into a time when the leader of the nation thinks sin is trivial, when he's leading the nation in idol worship, when he marries Jezebel. And then you have this story of Hael who rebuilds Jericho, knowing the curse on it, sees it take the life of both his sons. And then one of the first miracles, if you go read chapter 17, he goes to a widow in Zarephath and raises the widow's son back to life. God sent Elijah, a man without being married, a man without kids, into a culture, a nation, a people, and a family that needed a spiritual father. A spiritual father. That is why John the Baptist came preaching with the spirit of Elijah upon him to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Church, I want to let you know we live in a nation right now where sin has become trivial. We live in a nation where men have crawled into bed with Jezebel. We live in a nation where men are sacrificing their legacy. They are sacrificing their children on the altar of success. They are sacrificing their generational legacy on the altar of their own personal destiny. 
And what does is, what is Elijah prophesy to Ahab? It's not gonna rain and there's gonna be no dew for three years until I say so. What does he say in Malachi? If these things don't happen, if the father's hearts don't turn to their children, I will, I will smite the land with a curse. Perhaps America is spiraling out of control right now. Perhaps we're experiencing a, a drought of the goodness and glory of God because the father's heart aren't turned towards their children. Elijah explodes onto the scene, prophesying to King Ahab. It, how wild would your first gig be to be talking to a king? Right, like your, first, like your first gig as the prophet of the Lord, you are talking to the king, man. It's not like, it's not like hey, go to this, first go to this widow that nobody knows who she is and not, we're not even gonna mention her name and I want you to hang out with them for a while. It's like, no, you're in front of the King Ahab. King Ahab, and Ahab and Jezebel, they hated Elijah. If you go on and keep reading, they call him the troublemaker of Israel. And dude, Elijah, he's such the man because he's like, I'm not the one causing trouble like you are. Like, bro, you're talking to the king. You're like, you're one guy, dude. You're talking to a guy who has armies at his disposal and they have vowed to kill you. And you're calling him the troublemaker. Like, maybe tread a little bit like, Elijah would not be a popular man today. Just, just be, that's the kind of guy that he was. He was bad at the bone. What I love about Elijah though, is that he goes here and then as soon as he meets the king, God says, now go, go over here to this valley, turn eastward and hide in Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from a brook and, you, and I will have directed the ravens to supply you with food. Ravens are crows. Crows are nasty. They're like the raccoons of the air. Raccoons, like trash pandas, like they're the trash birds. Like they're, I hate crows, they're disgusting. So he goes from royalty, he goes from speaking in the palace to, hey, I want you to go out here where nobody's gonna know who you are. You're gonna go out here, you're gonna hide. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna know where you're at and I'm gonna feed you with birds. What a demotion. But Elijah was obedient without question. He was obedient without question. Men, Elijah was obedient without question. Men, I want to encourage you build you up, exhort you, and teach you this morning that the key to saving our nation, the key to seeing whole families, cities, and nations discipled is by turning our hearts to our children. And men, I want you to know the first step to this this morning is found in Malachi chapter four, verse four, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember your God, men. Remember who he called you to be. Remember what he has done in your life. Men, the key to walking in victory is remembering what God has already done in you. The key to walking in victory is remembering what God has done in the past. The key to walking in victory is seeing the testimony of the saints. That's the key to walking in victory. Men, do you remember what God told you? Do you remember when he first called your name? Do you remember when you first fell in love with him? Or have we become distracted? Have we let our eyes wander? Have we gotten so caught up in our calling that we've missed the one who called? The drought in the land of Israel was to get their attention. Maybe we've had a drought of the presence and glory of God in our land to get our attention. It's meant to draw us to him, not push us away from him and come up with some perverted theology that says, well, I guess God doesn't move anymore. It's meant to draw us to him. 
Men, have we forgotten the way that our Father feels about us? Do you even know the way that God feels about you? This, this is easier. This is easier a lot of times for ladies to, to, to swallow. Because men, like we gotta be tough and gruff and we, want, we, we don't wanna be vulnerable at all. We don't wanna be, it's easier for ladies to be tender. That's not sexist, ladies. Just more tender a lot of times than, than, the, than, than dads can be, than men can be. I find oftentimes that men don't know how to show affection because affection wasn't shown to them. But men, you are called to be tender and you are called to show affection. Dads, men in the room, everybody that is male, the deepest cry in your soul is Abba. I don't care how old you are. If you're eight years old or you're 80 years old and you're in this room today, the deepest cry in your soul is Abba. That's not me saying that. Two places in the New Testament, Romans 8 and Galatians 4. The deepest cry in your soul is Abba. Men, do you know how your father feels about you? Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Lord, I I ask that they would know that you love them like you love me. So God the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's not heresy, that's scripture. (laughs) That's John 17. Jesus prayed that, Lord, I ask that they would know how much you love them, that they they would know that you love them as much as you love me. When Jesus was, (laughs) the two times that we have a word from the Father to the Son, God says the same thing to him. When he gets baptized and comes out of the water, the heavens rip open and he says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Before Jesus did anything, he lived in obscurity for 30 years, nobody knew who he was. He didn't perform any miracles. He hadn't raised nobody from the dead. He hadn't done anything. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Man, I want you to know this morning, you could be the biggest piece of trash in here. Not beating you up, but I want you to know the father still feels the same about you. And he still says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And if you cannot accept that reality and believe that reality, you'll never be able to feel that way about your kids. Jesus goes up on the mountain transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appear. Peter and John are there. Jesus gets transfigured into his true form. The heavens open up and God says the exact same thing. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. If Jesus, the son of God needed to hear it twice, how many times do I need to hear it? He calls you son. He calls you son. You're not... I think sometimes we look at our, we we only see God as like this judge, this master that I'm serving and we don't see him as father. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven. And men, get the face of your dad off of God. I don't care how great your dad was, get his face off of God. Well, what face do you put on God? The face of Jesus. Because Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And I think sometimes we struggle with that because we didn't get affection from our dad. And so when we hear father, we hear dad, we, put, we, we, we act like that God treats us the same way that our dad treats us. And that's not how it is. Men, you're gonna have to be 
We have to be able to accept this reality of the way that he sees us. The key to turning our hearts to our children is knowing, understanding, and believing the way the Father feels about us. The way the Father feels about us. If you read the Gospels, Jesus came to do a lot more than die on the cross. Three years of ministry, he was showing us who God really was. Three years of ministry, he was fixing people's perception of who they thought God was. And he said, the father, the father, the father, the father, all the time, said the father. And he was constantly sneaking away from everybody trying to get with him. If he's our great example, do, are we constantly trying to sneak away from everybody to get with him? Men, it's in the secret place. It's in the secret place where you hear his voice, you hear his whisper, and he tells you who you are. Come on, men, you gotta see yourself as a son. I wanna build you up. You are a son. You're a royal priest. You're not a turd that's been sprayed with Lysol. That's gross. I know that's a gross example, but sometimes we look at ourselves that way as like, thank, you know, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a maggot. No, you're so much more than that. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Come on, man. Come on, man. John the Baptist came preaching in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. How did he do that? By pointing to Jesus. John the Baptist, his role was to prepare the way for Christ to come. An understanding of Jesus will lead to an understanding of the way the Father feels about you, consequently turning your heart to the next generation. And listen, there has been, there's been a, a, a I don't know, reclamation, revelation, I don't feel like it's revelation. I feel like it's an old thing that got renewed again by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's been a reformation in the last 10, 11, 12 years of the father heart of God in the church. And you, I, I think we first saw that happening in the worship movement across the world. I, I, remember, um, I remember getting wrecked by that song, uh, Good, Good Father. Not like a car wreck, like Holy Spirit came and made me cry. Um, <laughs> catch up with my lingo here. Um, the good, good father. Y'all know that song? It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I identify as. Good, good father. At churches, they wore it out like a used mule, so hopefully you've heard that song before. But go listen to it. It's really, really, really good. But you see it getting revealed there, and then you also see, uh, even this morning, we play the father's house. We're beginning to see how we're supposed to view God and understand God. The Holy Spirit has come and has been doing that work on the inside of us. Even, even the prodigal son, gr growing up as a kid, I just, I feel like the, the story of the prodigal son, that the emphasis was so on what a bonehead the son was and what a prodigal he was and all the mistakes that he made. And recently, over the last five years or so, I feel like there's been a switch where it's all about the goodness of the father because it's the goodness of the father that caused the son to come home. It's the goodness, when the son came home, it was meeting the goodness of the father that forever changed him, that brought him back to life. So men, remember, 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 remember what he has, who, who he calls you and what he has called you to do and abide in that reality, stay in that reality. And then men, the second, the second thing that we have to do is we have to obey God. We just remember what he called us to do, but then we have to actually do it. <laughs> Wild, revolutionary, I know. We actually have to observe what he has told us to do. We're singing that song, I love that new song we were doing this morning, What Moves You. 
Do y'all like that? I liked it. I told Lucas he had to play it for me. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that song, What Moves You? Men, here's what moves the Lord, obedience. Obedience is what moves the Lord. It's what moves his heart. Not success. You, the Lord bases your success on one thing, your obedience to him. The Lord doesn't base your success on how big of a ministry you have, how much influence you have, how much money you make, how big you build your business, how many people you reach. The Lord is basing your success on one thing in his obedience. Look at Elijah when he left King Ahab and he went into the wilderness. Was that a demotion or a promotion? If it's obedience, it's promotion. Every time, glory to glory sometimes looks like he takes you from a king to a desert. Glory to glory sometimes looks like he takes you from 10 people to two people. And that's hard because we get the leaven of the culture where we think that we have to constantly build and build and build and build and build and build, but that's not how you build in the kingdom. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus went from one to three to 12 to 60 to 30,000, back down to 12, back down to one. Jesus spent 33 years of his life to get 120 people in one room. 120. What's your success based on? It's based on, upon, on obedience. Can I, man, I want you to feel this freedom here in this morning. You don't have to make it. Whatever that means. There's such this drive in the American culture of like, we gotta make it. And so many dads have midlife crisis because they get to 40 or they get to 50 and they think, I didn't make it. What do you mean you didn't make it? Make what? You didn't become famous or rich? Who cares, man? Just be obedient to the voice of the Lord. That's what your obedience is based, that's what your success is based on, man. Come on, dads. <laughs> Our culture is... Our culture is so obsessed with our own personal destiny that it's costing us the life of our children. Even in the church, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being critical here, but you, men, you don't need a purpose-driven life. You need a spirit-led life. When Jesus was baptized, it said that he was led into the wilderness by the spirit. At Jesus' coronation moment, He was led into a desert to be tempted by the devil. Was that, did that mean that he was unsuccessful? When Jesus preached to the crowd of 30,000 people and he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood and all of them left to the point of where he thought his own 12 disciples were gonna leave too, does that make Jesus a failure? Don't let your career, your ministry, your purpose or your calling ever come before your family. Men, fathers, your family is your calling. Your family is your calling. And don't balance your career and your family. Don't ever put your career on an equal measuring rod with your family. Your family is your ministry. Your family, your family is your calling. You do ministry anywhere. You, listen, men, your kids don't want your stuff. They don't care about your reputation. They don't care about how much money you make. They don't care about how many toys you buy them. They want you. They want you. 
You think when they're playing in their basketball game that they're excited that you're off somewhere else making money? That video was right this morning. Do you know who they're looking for? They're looking for dad. Making disciples starts at home. We have an entire generation leaving the church because their fathers were more obsessed with what they were building than the lives of their children. Hiel of Bethel said, I'm gonna build it the way that I wanna build it, the way that I'm comfortable with, what brings me favor, what makes me shine, what makes me money, what puts me on the biggest stage, what gives me the most influence. There are statistics that go as high as 85% of young people are leaving the church by the time they graduate college or turn 23. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's because we didn't force enough apologetics down their throat. I think it's because of the father's hearts weren't turned towards them and they were turned towards ministries or jobs or money or whatever. Maybe young people stop believing in the Bible because they don't see anybody actually living it out. Maybe we force people to intellectually agree with something rather than paying the price to see them experience the presence and power of God. Like Hiel, many fathers are losing their children because they are building things they were never called to build. And real fruit, fruit in the kingdom always outlives the man. It's interesting, Elijah is one of the few figures we see in scripture that successfully passed his ministry onto the next generation. And not only did Elisha, his successor, take up his mantle, but he also picked up a double portion and did twice the miracles. God comes to Elijah one day and says, I want you to anoint this guy king and this guy king and this guy king. Oh, and then I want you to go anoint Elisha, who's going to replace you. And Elijah doesn't go, um, what? Excuse me, replace me? You're kidding. I called down fire from heaven. I outran a chariot, God. I said, don't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. You're gonna replace me? Elijah didn't say that. Elijah was obedient, and he went and found Elisha immediately, and he wasn't insecure about it. (sighs) My dreams are not of stages. They're not of big numbers. They're not of more churches. My dreams are not of a higher position. My dreams are that my wife would flourish and that her dreams would come true. My dreams are my children being lovers and worshipers of Jesus all the days of their life. I got to speak at a buddy's church last week in in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, I preached and, and... it was awesome, and we were closing in prayer. And uh, the, the, my buddy, the pastor, came up and was standing next to me, and he was praying, and, and we were going after it for about, for about 15 minutes, and the whole time my eight-year-old Micah was just standing there like this. That's what I dream of. That's what I dream of. I don't care. I don't care if a million people listen to this sermon today. I don't care, this sounds bad, but I don't care if this church grows to the point that we need five services to fit everybody in. 
the only thing I care about is that I'll be burning more at 80 than I am right now and that my grandkids will experience the power and presence of God and that my kids can burn brighter than I ever could. One of my favorite quotes by Bill Johnson, and if you don't like Bill Johnson, don't tell me or we'll fight. Love that man. He's one of those guys, like if you ever get around a guy where you're like, man, I wish that was my dad. <laughs> I wish that was my grandpa, that's Bill. <laughs> Bill said, if I win the nations but lose my own children, I lose. Dads, fathers in this, in this room today, I, I know I'm the youth pastor here, but I want you to understand one thing. It's not my job to disciple your kids. I will help you. I will come alongside you. I will back you up. I will reinforce you, but ultimately the responsibility falls on you. Hear me, men. It's not Miss Tori, our children's pastor's job to teach your kids the Bible and to teach them how to worship. That is on you. Men, it's not mom's job to get your kids to church. It's yours. It's yours. Listen, statistically right now in America, this is one of the most empty church services. Father's Day is one of the most empty church services every single, week, every single year. You know what one of the most full ones is? Mother's Day. You know how many women come to a women's seminar compared to a men's conference? If we, did a, if we said we're having a women's seminar this weekend, this place would be packed out. If we planned a men's seminar for six months, we'd have a fraction of the women that showed up to the women's conference. Why are men not hungry for spiritual things? Because the devil's not an idiot. He knows what he's doing and he knows how to get you. In Malachi's day, and when he made this prophecy about the spirit of Elijah, the people were intermarrying with unbelievers and it was destroying families. Fathers, I want you to know if you are intimate with other things, you are in danger of losing your family. We've got to be men who don't tolerate Jezebel, much less crawl in bed with her. We've got to be men of character and men of integrity. The enemy is trying to disqualify an entire generation of the power of God by appealing to our youthful lusts. We must refuse to turn over our legacy for a little instant gratifications. Man, if we could all sit down with King David and ask him, was it worth it? Was it worth it, David? Was it worth it? Cost you the life of that child? Both your sons turned against you, tried to kill you. Was it worth it? All the turmoil that you, that you faced for the next 20 years? Was it worth it for that little instant gratification? Second Timothy 2, 22 says, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness along with those who call upon God with a pure heart. Men, that is not talking to just young men. It doesn't say men in your youth run away from youthful lust. It says men flee youthful lust. Stop acting like a child is what it's saying. Stop running after something that's gonna gratify you for a moment and pursue me, pursue righteousness, pursue Jesus along with those who call upon God with a pure heart. Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The pure in heart, and they will see God. Men, we have to fight for our purity, and we have to do it with each other. Listen, every, and this is every person in the room, you are as free right now as you want to be. 
And men, you are as close to Jesus right now as you want to be. We must make a covenant with our eyes like Job did to not look on any young woman with lust. You've got Omri, who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any kings before him. And then you've got Ahab, who was worse. One of my favorite quotes on this, on, on this subject is, one generation's compromise is the next generation's captivity. And men, if you think that your sin is not affecting anybody but you, you are deceived. Because of the way that Ahab was fathered, Jezebel became attractive. Because of the way Ahab was fathered, Jezebel became attractive. You can be as free as you want, but that takes vulnerability, that takes exposure, that takes confessing your sins one to another. And listen, if we keep what is going on on the inside hidden, you're setting yourself up for a pattern for your entire life. And if we're being intimate with other lustful desires, our hearts can never fully turn towards our children and our wife because our affections are divided. Men, the greatest gift that you can give your kids is a God-centered marriage. The greatest gift that you can give your kids, men, is a God-centered marriage. Tim and Paul's greatest sermon to my life is their marriage. And they've preached, I've heard them do a lot of sermons, more than most people in this room. Heard them do a lot of sermons, because I gotta listen to them talk everywhere, not just in here, but staff meetings and chapels and all kinds of stuff, I gotta listen to them talk. And I gotta be here every Sunday and Wednesday. You don't have to be, but I gotta be here every Sunday and Wednesday and listen to them over and over again. And I don't remember half of what they say, <laughs> more than half of what they say. But the greatest sermon of their life is their marriage because they're crazy about their wives and their wives are crazy about them. If you're in this room and you don't have a father figure, you need to find one. And find a man. Stop going on social media and, and find some influence that you look up to or some TikTok video, some goober who hasn't lived any life, who's in his parents' $350,000 house talking about how socialism is the answer. How dumb are we? Come on. You're gonna listen to people who have no life experience whatsoever. You need to find you a man in church who loves, who's faithful to his one wife who loves Jesus, who worships God, whose house is in order and sit yourself underneath his authority. And you watch your life begin to come into order. Come on. <laughs> it's golly, it's 12 o'clock. We need to be done. Um, I wanna do this before we leave. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna pray for our dads. I wanna pray for our dads. I, uh, men, this wasn't to beat you up today. I actually want to build you up. I want to, I, men, I wanted to show you how important you were. That's why the enemy attacks you so much. I want to show you how important you are. Listen, the, the level of temptation that you face is, uh, is a compliment to what you carry. You hear me, men? The level of temptation that you face is a compliment to what you carry. It's a compliment to what you carry, to the anointing that you have on your life, to the freedom that you can bring to the people around you. 
It's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. Okay. I want, um, let's do this. I want all of our dads who currently have kids in their home to stand up. All of our dads who currently have children in your home, I want you to stand. All right, and the first thing is I want the children of that man to surround him and lay their hands on him and the wife to lay her hands on him. I know you're gonna have to move a little bit. Golly, I didn't come to church to move around. Now, if you are a, if you are a dad who has already raised kids and they're out of your house, I want you to find one of these men and I want you to lay hands on them. I want you to gather around with their families, find them, lay hands on them. We're gonna pray for them. I want you to lay hands on them because you know the weight of what it is to raise children. You know the struggle. Listen, kids, laying hands on your dads right now, I know he's not perfect. Neither are you. But listen, your kids and your your young person still living in, at dad's home. Listen, dad's here this morning. He's here in church this morning. He could be anywhere he wants to be. He's here with you. Let's have some grace for him and let's pray for him that God would empower him with the spirit of Elijah. God, I thank you for every man in this room right now that has children in their home. God, we anoint them right now with the spirit and the power of Elijah, with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit to raise their children up in the way that they should go. God, that they would see when they get home after work at night that they are going into the fourth quarter of their day and that they will get down and they will laugh and play with their kids. Lord, you will give them the strength and the power to tell their boss, no, I can't stay late. My kid is in a game right now. That you will give them the courage to stand up to even the subtle ways that the enemy tries to get us and, to, and get us out of the home. Right now, I think for all of these men, I fan into flame their relationship with you. I fan into flame their giftings and their anointing that they have on their life. I fan into flame, I ask Lord that you would pull their hearts into the secret place. God, that they would fall more in love with you than they ever have before. God, that they would be obsessed with you. God, even as my own self, Lord, we repent right now for looking at our phones more than we look at our wives, for looking at our phones more than we look at our children, for being obsessed with hobbies that, that, that have no eternal significance, Lord. Lord, give us the strength and the power to turn off the TV. Give us the strength and the power to turn off the video games. Give us the strength and the power to lay down, to sacrifice, Lord, so that our kids, so that our kids can flourish, God. So Lord, turn our hearts right now to our children. Let us become tender and compassionate towards our children. Break our hearts, Lord. Let us see them the way that you see us. Let us be fascinated with our children. Lord, teach us how to discipline, God. We don't know what we're doing. We need your wisdom, Lord. Even as we read and study your word, God, we need you. God, the deepest desire of our heart is that our kids would love you and they would follow you and they would worship you and they would live out all the days of their life in love with you. God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for these dads. And we seal this. And we prophesy this over them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, we're not done, so don't roll out. Now I want... Um,
Um, here, let's sit down. And so that, cause so I want us to be able to see everybody. Sorry. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, all of the men in the room who you no longer have children living in your home. You are, you are a dad and your kids have graduated um, or maybe you're now a grandpa, but you are just at home with just yourself or, or you and your wife. Um, I, I would like for you, all of you to stand that you no longer, your children are no longer in your home. Or maybe even if they are, you know, they're grown and kind of, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing, but you're, you, you know, you're, you're kind of done with the up to 18, 19 year old face. So, <laughs> okay. Now, if you're a current dad, actually, I want to do this. All of, if you are under 18, if you're under 18, I want you to find one of these dads and I want you to lay hands on them. All of our kids, even youngest down to my boys too. I want you guys to find one. If you're under 18, I want you to find one of these older, these older dads and I want you to lay hands on them. Come on, come on, come on. They won't bite you. Not all of them anyway. You don't have to know them. You ain't gotta be buddies with them. I'm not saying that you gotta go give them a hug and tell them your whole life story. I want you to find a dad if you're under 18. Now, now listen, if there's somebody around you and they don't have anybody laying hands on them, I want you to take that upon yourself and I want you to go and lay hands on them right now. So if there's someone around you, look around, make sure that everybody's got somebody praying for them. The reason, the reason that I have the kids do this for you older guys is because you're not done. You have got wisdom that you can give these children that myself and my fellow dads right now don't have. And you get to, you get to be the fun guy. You get to be the one that, that jokes around with them, that can still roll around the floor with them. There are, still, there are children who are starving for spiritual fathers and spiritual grandfathers. And it means a lot that you're here this morning. It means a lot that you're investing into the next generation. And so I wanna to say to you dads that are standing up right now, God is not done with you. He's still got people he wants you to father. He's still got children that he wants you to pour into. Let's pray for these men. God, I thank you so much for these men. I thank you so much for, thank you so much that they're here this morning. Thank you so much that they came in this place and they still, that they still love you, that they still follow you. Lord, I ask that you would turn their hearts to the little ones. You would turn their hearts to the little ones that they would care about the little, that they would care about the little children. And they would still seek to pour into them and still seek to be that fun, that fun grandpa or that fun dad or that fun uncle in their life. God, I ask that you would anoint them, God, that you would show them that you are not through with them. They are still here for a reason, that they're still called to be a father to the next generation. That they're, that they're also called to father young men, that they're called to father young, young dads, that they're, they're called to help them out as well. Lord, I ask that you would anoint them, ask that you would help them walk in the spirit and power of Elijah this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. All right, we're gonna do one more thing. I know it's 12.09, I know it's past time. The pot roast can sit for a little bit longer. The golf course can wait, man. It's, it'll still be there when you get done. <laughs> All right, I want to do this. <laughs> if you are, um, if you are between the ages of 14 and I don't know 30ish, 
and you don't have kids yet. You, you may not even be married. Obviously, if you're 14, you're probably not married. Probably a good thing. Um, you never know. Uh, but if you're between 14 and 30-ish, maybe you may be married. You may not be married. Um, you may, uh, but, but, but guys who don't have kids who say, I want to be a dad one day. I want to be a father. I believe that is a call of God on my life and I want to do that. And I'm like, I'm serious, all the way down to 14. I remember being 14 years old and wanting to be a dad. And listen, wanting to be a better dad than my dad was to me. And that's a good thing. I hope my boys are a better dad than I am. This thing should go glory to glory, amen. And so if you're 14 to 30-ish and you wanna be a dad, don't, don't, you may be a little bit older than 30, that's totally fine. Uh, but if you're around that age, I actually want you to come down to the altar. Come on, come on, come on. Actually, will you guys, like, let's just like kind of, kind of make a line here. Kind of make a line here. <clears throat> let's go. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. This is the most, man, this is the most important call of God on your life. The most important call of God on your life. All right. Now, dads, I'm gonna make you move one more time. If you're a dad, you, got, or you don't have to come all the way down here if you don't want to, if you just wanna extend your hand. But if, if I get some dads, come and lay hands on these guys. Come and lay hands on these guys. Come on. Y'all getting your workout in today. Getting your steps in. Come on, come on, come on. This is important. I want this to be a moment that marks these young guys. I want this to be a moment that they remember that they understand that this is the most important call that God has on their life, to have children and to raise up the next generation in the way that they're supposed to go. All right, let's pray. And you can begin to pray for them out loud if you want to as well. I'm just gonna kind of give an overview prayer, but you can, if you pray in the spirit, pray in the spirit over them. God, we thank you so much for these men. God, we ask that you would set them apart right now in this moment. God, that you would give them the strength to overcome the onslaught of temptation that they face in our culture. That you would give them the strength, Lord, that they don't have to do it by themselves that they have community around them, that on their right, on their left, they have brothers here and in front of them and behind them, they have fathers that are for them and will help overcome this temptation, this, this, this lust that comes so, comes against us, this spirit of Jezebel that so attacks us, Lord. Lord, let us be men who make a covenant with you and say, no more, it stops with me. It stops with just generation, Lord. We set our hearts to be pure before you. God, I ask that you would baptize these young men in fire this morning, that you would burn out of them all of the things that are trying to destroy them. You would burn out of them any sin, any lawlessness, any lust, anything that's got them wrapped up. I pray freedom over them. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we break off chains in Jesus' name. May they be men who save themselves for their wives. May they be men from this moment forward that they would save themselves from that, for that wedding bedroom that they would be men who make a covenant with their eyes to not look on anything with lust. 
that they would only have eyes for their future wives. They would only, and Lord, that their hearts would be turned towards their children. That even now in their prayer closets, in their prayer place, Lord, that they would pray for their wives, they would pray for their kids, God, and they would understand it doesn't matter what they accomplish in sports. It doesn't matter what kind of degrees they get or what kind of career or kind of job they have. The greatest call on their life is first fellowship with you and then raising their family. Let them not be men who are seeking to be seen, but let them be men who are seeking to be seeds that are planted in the culture that produce a harvest, that produce fruit, fruit that looks like children. We bless them this morning, God. Let them know how loved they are. Jesus, I remember this time in my life. I believe these men can be holy men, Lord, and we prophesied over them this morning that they're a holy priesthood, that they would see themselves as your sons, that the decisions they make now matter. But God, there's nothing that they can do that separate them from your great love, that you are with them, that you are close to them, and that you are fascinated with them. Let them see themselves as beloved sons. We thank you for them. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this Father's Day. We thank you that you're the ultimate dad, that you're Abba, that you're Abba God, that you're Father. We thank you that you sent your only son so that we could also become your sons. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Y'all give these guys a big hand. Awesome, awesome. Dads, we love you, happy Father's Day. We honor you today. Kids, the greatest gift that you could give to your dad this afternoon is a nap. We love you, church, you are dismissed. You guys have a great, awesome Father's Day. Love you. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.